So Genesis 42, beginning at verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. Oh, no, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man, who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, "As just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come to us. And continuing in 44, page 47. We skipped a bit and you'll hear about that in the, in the sermon. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry, 
and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And the steward did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this cup my master drinks from, and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated those words to them. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in. And they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves, we ourselves, and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you, go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my lord. Let me speak a word to my lord. Do not be angry with your servant, that you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down 
Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the grey head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come to my father. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. Your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and all your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. 
Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. After, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your family, your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land and of Egypt and then you can enjoy the fat of the land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Gordon. I'm the assistant minister here. Can everyone hear me? Yeah. Uh, happy Father's Day to our dads out there. Um, I had a, had a moment, an incident with my kids the other day, and the jury's still out on whether this was a, a dad win or a dad failure. Uh, one of my kids found my deck of cards and asked me to teach him how to play. And so I taught him the game Snap. And so there we are trying to play Snap together. Uh, my second kid comes along, and she wants to join in too, except she's not really interested in the game. She just wants the cards. And so she starts snatching cards and destroying this game of Snap that we're playing. There's a reaction from the first kid. I say, freeze, everyone freeze. How are we going to solve this? I think it's a pretty good dad move, right? Good parenting move. So the first kid has a, has a think, and then he says, how about we give Naomi half the deck of cards, and she can play over there by herself, and I can have the other half of the cards. And to this I say, that's a great idea. And so there, there we are, you know, one kid, she's very happy playing with half a deck of cards by herself, and we're trying to play a game of Snap with 27 cards that don't all match up. But there's peace. Sibling conflict resolved. And so there's my inspirational Father's Day story. Um, but I also share this because often, that's the best we can do in our world when it comes to peace and reconciliation. The best peace we can do, the best we can do to reconcile a conflict is just that, you know, divide up the cards as evenly as, as possible and play not the same game together, but our own games separately. Uh, when it comes to reconciliation, it either never happens and we're still fighting until one side or both sides get too tired to fight, or we just put up the wars and live separately. Uh, we're back in Genesis, back in the middle of the Joseph story. And it's an epic story that uh, Fred read for us today. It's full of tension, it's full of emotional ups and downs, character development, but it's a story that's all about reconciliation. How can these brothers that are in such deep conflict, when there's been such evil and wrongdoing done, how can proper reconciliation and peace and restoring of relationships, how can that ever happen? Uh, during the week in my Bible, daily Bible reading, I read this from Proverbs 18, verse 19. It's such a true observation of things. A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. In other words, proper reconciliation is hard. Proper reconciliation is hard. And, you know, this word reconciliation, it's a pretty loaded word, isn't it? Uh, it's become a political word, uh, not just in Australia and here, 
but actually in my home city too, in Hong Kong, if you are aware of what's happened there in recent years. But as a, you know, as a human race, I don't think we've worked out how to do proper reconciliation and proper peace. And so we do need to pay attention to this story, uh, which is arguably the climactic story of Genesis. Uh, so let's pause and ask God for help. Uh, please pray with me. Father God, this topic of peace and conflict and reconciliation can be painful for us, Lord. Uh, Lord, relationships matter to us, and yet there's so much brokenness and potential for brokenness in our relationships. Uh, so Lord, help us to listen to you today and show us how your story of reconciliation has the power to transform all our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so we're back in Genesis. Remember, Genesis is all about God's mercy to a messy family, and it's been a re really messy family, isn't it? Uh, remember Jacob, the father of these 12 sons? Remember that he favored Joseph, the firstborn of his favorite wife, Rachel? And remember that this made all the other sons jealous, and so jealous that they, they beat up Joseph, they sold him off as a slave to Egypt, uh, and lied to their dad about it. Uh, but remember that God was with Joseph even in Egypt, and even though Joseph uh, in Egypt suffers even more evil, even more injustice, this time at the hands of uh, his, his master's wife, uh, God is with him even though he ends up in prison. And God brings him miraculously out of prison um, so that he's now the second in charge to Pharaoh. He's effectively the prime minister of Egypt. And the very, the very last verse of Genesis 41, the verse that just before our passage today, it says this, the whole world, all the world, came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. That's how influential Joseph has become. The whole world needs him to stay alive. That's Nobel Prize stuff there. Um, but this also means that his own family uh, now comes to buy grain too. And so his brothers, the ones who had sold him off as a slave, uh, these brothers pop up on his doorstep one day. What will Joseph do? In verse 7 of chapter 42, we read this. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Why does Joseph do this? You know, he then accuses them of being spies and this back and forth. But why? You know, why is he mucking around with these brothers? You know, is this revenge for what he did what they did to him? Now, that was my question all week. You know, why does Joseph take so long to finally reveal himself to his brothers? Now, I don't think Joseph is doing this as revenge. Revenge would have been much worse than what he's doing here. And actually, nowhere in the Bible and, you know, is Joseph's actions here condemned or even questioned. And so as I thought about this question, I realized I hadn't thought that deeply about reconciliation and what it takes. See, proper reconciliation and peace can only occur when we treat evil seriously. You know, often we just say, you know, forget about it and move on, right? You know, there's no point fighting, there's no point being upset, just forget, move on. I actually had this exact conversation with someone last week, you know, someone who'd been, who'd been very hurt by uh, the actions of someone else, and they said they just didn't want to waste more time you know, on it. They just wanted to forget about it and, and move on. 
But the longer we talked, the clearer it became that they just couldn't forget and they just couldn't move on. And I wonder if this is something that you've tried yourself. You know, forgetting and moving on, it doesn't really, it doesn't really treat evil and hurt seriously, does it? You know, it doesn't treat it with the justice it deserves. Do you, rem- do you remember what Joseph went through? Uh, Moses, the author of Genesis, he reminds us of this in verse 21, uh, chapter 42, verse 40, uh, 21, uh, when the brothers record to each other what they did to Joseph. They say this, We saw how distressed he, Joseph, was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. It's a pretty graphic picture, isn't it, of what happened back in Genesis 37. Can you imagine how deep Joseph's scars would have been from that incident? You know, he probably had PTSD from that. You can't just ignore and forget evil. I think Joseph's actually wise in trying to work out whether his brothers have changed. Now, are they still jealous? Have they now turned their jealousy onto Benjamin, who's his full brother? Proper reconciliation can't ignore evil and wrongdoing. Proper reconciliation must take evil, and it must take repentance seriously. Now, if there's no repentance, if there's no genuine apology, there's no genuine sorry and admitting wrong and hurt done, And if there's no sincere commitment to change, to change their behavior, if there's no repentance, then reconciliation, proper reconciliation, it's impossible. I'm not talking about forgiveness. There may be forgiveness, but if there's no repentance, then there's no chance for the relationship to be restored, for reconciliation to happen. Joseph's wise not to offer reconciliation cheaply until he's confident that they've changed. He's also wise in just seeing if, in wanting to see if Benjamin's okay, you know, and so he demands that they bring Benjamin back so they can, he can see, and he keeps Simeon in Egypt uh, to guarantee that. And so uh, the rest of chapter 42, the brothers go back to their dad and report. Uh, and in chapter 43, Jacob, he doesn't want Benjamin to go. He's still unashamedly playing favorites, Jacob. And so Reuben, the eldest son, he offers to kill his own sons if anything happened uh, to Benjamin, which... Jacob just dismisses, like, you know what, like that, how is that going to achieve anything? Uh, now, there's a lot we can say about that kind of thinking from Reuben. It's very kind of honor shame thinking back in that culture particularly. But the main thing to say is that Reuben is on a completely different wavelength. Uh, he's an unworthy older brother. And actually, we start to see Judah taking his place as the elder, as the leader of the brothers. See, Judah, in chapter 43, in contrast to what Reuben is doing, Judah offers himself as a pledge to protect Benjamin. And now this is really crucial to this story, because uh, not just because this is what lets um, finally, you know, Jacob finally lets Benjamin go down to Egypt with the brothers, but this is really what um, makes Judah take center stage in this next chapter. And so uh, chapter 44, Judah's sacrifice. The brothers, they make their second trip down to Egypt. And as they leave with the grain that they've bought, uh, Joseph, he plays his next card and he plants the silver, his special silver cup into Benjamin's suitcase. Uh, again, we're not really told why. Maybe he wants to take Benjamin away. Maybe he's still suspicious of these brothers. Anyway, uh, Benjamin is now framed for stealing the Prime Minister's cup. Pretty serious offense. And so the brothers, they're distraught. They come back to Joseph. And this is where Judah, 
Uh, this is where Judas steps up and he steps forward. Uh, we're going to spend a bit of time here because Judas' speech kind of dominates this chapter, chapter 44. So turn with me to chapter 44, verse 16. Uh, Judas says, What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. Did you notice what Judas says here about God? God has uncovered his guilt. He's talking about the evil, the guilt that he did to Joseph back in chapter 37. Judah's admitting that he's wrong. He's guilty before God. In other words, Judah's no longer playing the blame game. He's not playing the blame game anymore. You know, how easy is it in these kind of situations to just kind of point the finger, to blame other people, to play the blame game? You know, Judah could have, played, he could have blamed his dad, you know, Jacob. Jacob didn't love him fairly. The lack of love he received from his dad, he could have blamed him. And remember the blame game all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent. There's no sign of that here in Judah. There's no sign of that. He's owning his sin before God. And even when he's recounting the conversation uh, with Jacob, his father, look down with me to verse 20, uh, 27. Uh, Judah says this, um, your servant, my father, he's talking about Jacob, your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. It's such a bad thing for a father to say in front of all his children that he only has two sons, you know, that the only ones from his favorite wife are the only two sons that count. It's such a bad thing for a father to say in front of all 11 of his children, of his sons. But Judah, as he's recounting this, he shows no sign of jealousy or bitterness. Instead, in this speech, we see how much he loves his own dad, the dad that didn't love him fairly back. And see how his love for his dad, Jacob, makes him do what he does next. Verse 30. So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, um, whose life, my father's life, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. And jump down to verse 33. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return to his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that will come on my father. Judah offers to take the place of his brother Benjamin, to become a slave forever, so that Benjamin, his brother, can go free, uh, so that his father, Jacob, won't die. Do you see how remarkable that is? Do you see how much Judah has changed? Remember he was the ringleader back in Genesis 37 when they sold Joseph off. You know, maybe back then he was the one that, that felt the lack of love from his father the most. Maybe back then he was the one that was most possessed with jealousy towards Joseph. But here, something's changed. Something's changed. And I think what happened in Genesis 38 um, is a big part of that. You can read that in your own time this week. But when all we do is just point the finger and blame, play the blame game, then reconciliation is impossible. But when we have the humility before God to not look at others first, but to look at ourselves, to see and admit the wrong that we've done before God, it actually frees you. It frees you up from playing the blame game. 
It loosens the shackles of hatred and bitterness. And it empowers you. It empowers you to love even someone who doesn't love you back. When your first reference point becomes God, then reconciliation is possible. And I want to pause here and speak pastorally. You know, is this something that's live for you right now? Are you experiencing a relationship breakdown that's just become a bit of a blame game? Uh, it's become finger pointing. The first step to breaking out of that is to come before God. Not them, you. You first. To come before God in humility. To own the wrongdoing that you've done before God. And that's the first step towards any reconciliation. Now, Judah's remarkable selfless offer to sacrifice himself in his brother's place, it shows how much he's changed. It also sends Joseph into a ball of tears. Uh, after jo uh, Judah's speech, uh, Joseph can't keep it together, can he? He just you know, he, he reveals himself to them. And to be fair, it's a really remarkable thing for Joseph to do. You know, we all know of people who maybe had a falling out at home, moved countries, you know, got a new job, really successful, but not in contact with home anymore. Uh, they've moved on to bigger and better. It would have been so tempting for Joseph to do this. You know, he's in Egypt now. He's the prime minister of Egypt. He's a Nobel Prize winner. You know, why does he have to forgive and reconcile with these brothers that did such horrible things to him? The key for Joseph and what is going on in him is what Joseph says in verse five, uh, five, verses 5 to 8. So if you look with me to chapter 45, verse 5, uh, he says, And now do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Such a remarkable thing to say. You know, for two years now, there's been famine in land. For the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me, but God. That last bit, how remarkable is that? It was not you who sent me here, but God. How can Joseph say that? Joseph's not ignoring the evil that they did to him. But Joseph can see how God used even this evil that they did to him for salvation. God was working towards something even bigger than the reconciliation between these brothers. He was working towards to preserve a remnant on earth and to save lives by a great deliverance. Joseph is able to forgive, he's able to reconcile, not just because he saw repentance in them, change in them. Not just because he was so moved by Judah's offer to take the place of Benjamin, but also because he could see how God was working. How God was using this, all this, including the evil, for a great salvation. Often we have such a small view of God, you know, that God is maybe some sort of cosmic police officer at best. You know, if you get away with evil, then he's there to swoop in and Make sure no one slips through the cracks. God's like karma, that kind of thinking. But the God we encounter in Genesis is so much bigger than that. The God we encounter, he's a God where even global superpowers, even natural disasters, even the worst kinds of human evil, none of, the, none of these things are outside of his control. None of these things are outside his rule. 
And none of these things can stop him from achieving his purposes. And his purpose throughout Genesis has been this. The goal he's been working towards has been this, to bring salvation, to preserve a remnant on earth, to, to save his chosen family, this messy family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis is a story of God's salvation. It's a story of salvation. Salvation through this messy family, this chosen family of God. And here, in this story we read today, God chooses to use an offspring of this family, Joseph, to save many. And later on, he will use another offspring of this family, Jesus of Nazareth, to bring about an even greater salvation, an even greater reconciliation. Not just salvation from famine, not just reconciliation between brothers. See, the greater story of Genesis has showed us that it's not about brother doing evil against brother. It's about creatures doing evil against their creator and rejecting him. The biggest problem in Genesis for humanity has not been famines. It's been a sinful and corrupt human heart, a sinful and corrupt human heart that's capable of all kinds of evil that we'll need to answer before God. So this story that we read of reconciliation, salvation through Joseph, it's just a snippet. It's just a snippet of a greater story that continues beyond Genesis. At the end of chapter 45, at the end of our passage, Jacob's whole family, they move down to Egypt, and it's a really nice gesture for Pharaoh to give uh, them the very best of the land. But we're supposed to have a question. You know, why is God's chosen family leaving the land that he's promised them? And it's a sign to us that Genesis is just the beginning of this great biblical story. And throughout the pages of Scripture, God will continue to save his remnant, his people, from this family, all the way until we're introduced to a descendant from the tribe of Judah, a descendant named Jesus Christ. See, whenever we read the Old Testament, we have to ask, the main question we have to ask is, how does this point us to Jesus Christ? How does this point us to Christ? See, there's lots we can learn about how to deal with conflict, how to do reconciliation. There's lots we can learn from Judah and from Joseph here. But neither of these characters actually point to us. Both Judah and Joseph, uh, both their actions, point us to what Christ will be like. They point us to what Christ did for us. And so in this story, if there is a character we're most like in the story, it's not Judah and it's not Joseph. It's actually Benjamin. We're most like Benjamin in this story. See, just like Benjamin's brother Judah offered to take his place to be a slave forever so that Benjamin can be set free, we have a brother Jesus who offered to take our place. Even though we were actually guilty with sin, not like Benjamin who was framed, Jesus took our place not to be a slave forever, but to die, to be crucified on the cross, to bear the wrath and judgment for sin so that we can stand free, we can stand righteous before God. And just like Benjamin's other brother, Joseph, was sent ahead of him by God to experience great evil in Egypt, but to be raised to be the right hand of Pharaoh so that Benjamin and all his family could be saved. We have Christ, our brother, who was sent ahead of us by God to ex 
experienced great evil on the cross, but was raised to life and seated not at the right hand of Pharaoh, but the right hand of God the Father himself in heaven, so that we can be saved. Friends, reconciliation is not cheap. It's not cheap, but this is what Christ did to reconcile us to God, to restore us back to God's family if we repent and trust in Jesus Christ, our brother, our substitute, our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love to us, that though we rejected you, Though we separated ourselves from you, you chose to reconcile with us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being that brother who took our place. You gave yourself up for us so that we could be free and forgiven. And you sit now at the right hand of the throne in heaven. We're saved by faith in you, Lord. Lord, please transform our relationships in light of your great reconciliation with us. Lord, give us humility to confess our sins before you. Give us wisdom not to treat hurt or evil done to us cheaply. And give us mercy to forgive as you have forgiven us. And patience to trust in your goodness and healing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.